the In the Pattern podcast. Make left traffic clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range. More Mike Alvin. Mark Power, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold the short on 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to the In the Pattern Podcast, episode 89. This is Chris, and we've got a full house tonight. We've got the whole gang's back, and, uh, we're ready to go. We got a lot of catching up to do. So, uh, uh, for now, let's just say hey to everybody. What's going on, guys? How are you? Hey, hey. Excellent. Doing great. Mark, Brad, and John all, uh, all on the line with us tonight from, uh, every, uh, corner of, uh, of our time zones, as it, as it were. Um, guys, it's, uh, it's been since Osh since we've got a chance to catch up. And I know a lot of stuff's been going on, uh, Personal, professional, flying, all that bit. So uh, we'll do our best to uh, see how see how close to uh, current we can get with it. How's that sound? Let's do it. That sounds great. Cool, 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 cool. Well, um, I you know, um, it was Osh was kind of weird this year. It was just uh, Brad and I, and and uh, and uh, you were just there partially, or I should say, you know, yeah, partially just a a few of the days and uh and then i was uh uh running by myself for a while there but um but uh, it was a good osh uh as usual i've never been to a bad one i don't think they can do that um but uh me and uh darshil or i should say darshil and i uh flew back on sunday morning and uh we blasted out of there about as early as as we could get ourselves out of there anyway somewhere around eight o'clock or so. Well, no, it was earlier than that. I bet you it was around seven. I forget when the, is the field open at six or something. You remember? It's too early regardless. Yeah. Departures, departures are, I think seven and usually it's seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know when we do the mass arrival, there's nothing, no, nothing earlier than seven o'clock. All right. Oh yeah. So, departures yeah. are an hour earlier than, than arrivals. So maybe it's six and seven. Yeah. If, if only there was like a notum. Yeah. A way that we well, that. Up. <laughs> I bet you I could just. Uh, what if I looked it up on my? I wonder what it says here. Um, pretty pretty sure there isn't a notum. Didn't they call it something weird this year? <laughs> oh, it's a notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> well, it's a notice to air missions, huh? No, but it's, the specific the, Oshawa oh, was called something else. It's yeah. the notice. Yeah, yeah that's notice. right. Yeah, which is weird. You're right. Is- I and I'm gonna have a hard time ever uh changing my habit to what that is we still call it oshkosh for gosh sakes yeah well it is that uh don't you know well according to according to uh four flight um my timer on my uh four flight started at 6 39 in the morning so there you go there you go uh was that was that engine start for a seven o'clock departure well uh, it doesn't pick up for engine start just after you start rolling at a certain speed or whatever, you know. So that makes sense. It was probably on uh, on departure on takeoff. I would imagine. I usually find mine's a little longer than my flight. 
Yeah, I so- sometimes I press the start button while I'm taxing, and other times I just let it go on its own. How was the flight? Uh, that was uh, that was good. We just did do a one fuel stop at uh, at Colonel James Jabbar Airport in Wichita. Aren't arrows great with those big tanks? Oh, 71 gallons. Um, she's got some legs. Uh, she tested my bladder on the way home. That yeah. was <laughs> that was a 4.7 hour flight logged from from uh, Oshkosh to there. But on the way on the way to there, uh, I slowed down and circled around and overflew my mom, my aunt, and my sister at their houses. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I slowed down, got to about a thousand AGL and did a couple of orbits around each one of them. Um, I had an air horn with me, a little small one. I opened up the window. I was honking at them. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that slowed us down a little bit, but, uh, we got to, we got to Wichita and, um, got gas and, uh, went out to lunch, uh, hit up the, uh, we got, we got a, a kick-ass, uh, crew car um what was it it was a, a crown vic so nice. <laughs> we had a sweet crown vic from the retired uh, police FBO. <laughs> yeah, exactly it had the yeah. uh had the light on the outside of it and everything <laughs> yep i have driven many of those <laughs> so we went over to uh chipotle and got some lunch and um and uh, got back and got the gas and and, and blasted off out of there and then, uh, so from there to Deer Valley, uh, was exactly six hours. <laughs> and, um, you know, like I know exactly how much fuel's in the tank. I, my, my, the EDM 830 or whatever, the flight, flight computer thing, the engine monitor and all that has a good gauge of exactly how much you're using. So it tells you how much is remaining and how much you'll have when you land and all that but the analog fuel gauges were freaking me out just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, my eyeballs were seriously floating by about that, that, that time sick about, I don't know, hundred miles out, 150 miles out. Like I was squirming in my seat, but um, it was a lot of fun um, for sure. I don't, I don't know that I'm going to like make this, a yearly habit of uh, flying to Osh. It's it's a lot, especially from this far out. Um, it's it's not only expensive, but uh, but it's just it's kind of taxing, man. It's a it's a tough one. But it would, probably wouldn't be so bad if I broke it up into two days, like flew to Missouri, stayed with my mom, or something like that, and then left from there. That wouldn't be so bad. But 11, 11 hours is basically what it took. Yeah, from, that's that's a long day. Yeah, that's a tough one. And then especially if you've got storms and stuff during the summer that you got to dodge one way or the other, you know. So now were you up where you needed oxygen? Yeah, we were on O2 both both directions. We were depending on where the clouds were and whatnot. We were anywhere from like um, you know seventeen five and below, you know to 13.5 or so that's just that's just where the plane performs really well anyways but uh but also um you get a good true airspeed up there um mm-hmm. 
I can, I can lean it out. I can do lean of peak just below nine gallons an hour, right around nine gallons an hour. So it performs well. It's, it's fuel efficient. Um, and you know, it's, it's pretty smooth overall up, up at that altitude, but yeah, we're on oxygen both directions. So it was a good, it was a good flight. And like I said, we'll see whether or not, you know, I do it every year, every other year or whatever, you know, it's certainly a lot less expensive to take a good old, uh, Allegiant, but uh, not near as fun. Right. We will see. But uh, other than that, man, I've been, I just, I've been flying the heck out of the arrow, uh, as you guys know, and I've been working on my instrument rating and stuff like that. So we'll talk more about that as we get going. Um, but uh, how about you, Brad? You had to, you had to leave Osh a little bit early and, and uh, yeah, we were there back. at the first the first half and we had to get home. Um, we, we stayed for jambalaya night. Uh, my son, Aiden came down and his birthday. Uh, uh, yep. And, uh, got, we, we went over, so he, he's interested in, in getting his A and P. And so we went over and talked to Delta and we went over, uh, which had an enormous presence at the show with, um, trying to recruit pilots and trying to recruit flight attendants and trying to recruit a and P's and everybody else. Um, and they were great. I mean, they were very, you know, straightforward and honest about it, which, which I think he really appreciated. They came on and, and said, you know, look, if you, you know, it's a great place to work and the pay is great and everything you're going to start at the bottom of the ladder, which means you're going to be working third shift. Um, and that's how this works. Like that's, that's just the way that, that our system functions. And so he gave that some thought. Um, and he decided, uh, that the way he wanted to go was, uh, more the FBO route. Um, and, uh, one of the local FBOs here in the twin cities, uh, he, that services our club planes, um, uh, you know, we got him an introduction and he went and talked to them and they're like, we'd love to have you. And, and basically we will, we'll pay for your schooling and we'll, we'll give you all of the on the job training that you need. Uh, um, and as long as you pass the test, uh, at the end of it, you know, you stay on for a little while after you pass the test and, you know, we'll cover all of the cost basically. And we'll pay you while you're, while you're working for us. Uh, they're paying him at a discounted rate because he's not an A&P yet. Um, but he started a couple of weeks ago and, uh, he's been, uh, turning wrenches on airplanes ever since. And so he's been cleaning spark plugs and replacing, uh, polycarbonate windows and, you know, rivet, uh, putting in all different kinds of rivets and, uh, yeah, replacing sheet metal and all different kinds of things on airplanes just in his first couple of weeks. Uh, and that's been super fun for him. He's really, really enjoying the the opportunity to to just dive in and get his hands dirty. That's awesome. Well, we definitely need more A&Ps out there. So he's enjoying it. He is really enjoying it, yeah. And is, you know, looking forward to the whole progression, you know, kind of getting further and further along in the, in the A and P process and getting the chance to, 
you know, dive more into the power plants and uh, do more and more stuff. But just in his first couple of weeks, he's had a chance to to really get into a lot of um, interesting aspects of of being an ANP and of working on the on the aircraft. So he's got a pile of books on, you know, the aviation maintenance technician handbook for airframe and the one for power plants and how do you do inspections and how do you do repair and alterations and just kind of learning all of the, you know, here is the the world that you fit into as an ANP. Here's what the FAA expects of you. And and then as well as here's sort of the technical knowledge of how you work with the tools and and do the things. So that's been a just you know a delight to watch him find something that he really enjoys doing um and really dive in wholeheartedly in a place that really wants him to be there. That's cool. And then so long term he's thinking what? Uh so long term his his current thought which you know is subject to change um he'll, <laughs> he'll finish out his A&P and get his uh his certificates and uh he's interested in going to work for Cirrus uh oh. up north so we'll probably spend some time talking at the Cirrus tent we did actually that was another place that we stopped by um they weren't in uh doing apprentice uh, apprenticeships, but they're like, once you get your A and P, you know, come and talk to us and we'll take you on board. Where are they? Duluth? They're in Duluth, Minnesota. So they're about three hours drive North of here or one hour flight. Okay. That's cool. So does that give you some, uh, benefits of, you know, free planes or something? (laughs) Free planes. (laughs) Free planes. No, but I, I am, much more interested in buying a you know a 1960 something bonanza uh when i've got a a a mechanic when i have an a and p in the family that's living under my roof yeah yeah. hey uh it's kind of time for that annual yeah (laughs) you you got your ia right um Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll see how that goes um but uh yeah i've only flown a couple times since oshkosh uh michelle has been using up all the reservations and <laughs> kind of talk about t- talk about her experiences uh probably next time uh, yeah. that we record um and uh bring you all up to speed on on what she's been doing she's she's you know close to wrapping everything up and I'll let her uh tell the tell the tales Excellent. Yeah, I've been been wondering about that. It's been it's been a little while, so it's, since we've heard anything. So, yeah, are the are the planes in the club all all uh, working again? Everything's all good. Oh my gosh, everything is working, and it yeah. seems like it's been forever. Um, yeah, you know, last Christmas time we took the we took the Warrior and and hand flew it to uh, Saint. Uh, new orleans and back in in louisiana um and we talked about that uh uh, on an earlier episode and since then um they were doing some work at the at uh, near the fuel tanks on the airport on our little on our little airport in minneapolis and uh some guy was was very carefully watching the the construction 
uh, one of our pilots was very carefully watching the construction as he was taxiing over to the fuel pumps and was not watching the fence that was on the other side um, and that he drove the wing into uh, on one of the aircraft. And so that's fixed. Like, I think, I think everything is working right now, which is kind of a miraculous thing. We had, we had a few, uh, you know, we had somebody, like I said, tack, taxi into the fence. We had somebody inadvertently drive the propeller into a fence. We had, um, we've had some, some silly things happen. Um, but I think now knock on wood, all of the airplanes are, are functioning. <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for winter icing. Just in time for, for cold weather flying, yeah. um, which Michelle has decided is the best. She's like, huh. there's no turbulence. There's, yeah, she likes the added performance. <laughs> you perform so much better because so much more air is going into the cylinders and over the wings and everything Dense else. Air is great. Um, and so she is all about winter flying. She's like, summer flying is sucks because you can never hold altitude because there's, you know, up here the, the sun heats up all of the crops and it let's go of all of this warm, humid air and you get all of this crazy lift on one side and descent on the other. And it's, it's harder to fly in. And so she's, she's all about the cold weather stuff. We, I don't, uh, uh, I don't disagree with her. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a little worse where you're at. We, um, we took a family trip to, uh, we spent a couple of days in Iceland and, um, while we were there, uh, we were checking out, uh, AOPA had a whole thing about flying around Iceland, which looks like an awful lot of fun and an awful, awful lot of money. Um, oh. <laughs> Av, Av gas in Iceland is, oh. is over 12 bucks a gallon. Yikes. Um, so it's not as prevalent as it is here in the United States. Yeah. Um, although ours is going up, it's ours is about half that right now. Probably will stay that way because the, the local refinery has decided to stop producing 100 low lead. Uh, so we have to mm. bring it in by train from Chicago um, from here on out. So our, our av gas is probably going to be pretty spendy. Huh? You got to get that new one. I know we're we're all kind of hoping for G one hundred UL and and I haven't been keeping tabs on the latest reauthorization. I saw that they put some language in the reauthorization that said if you currently have a hundred low lead, you can't basically switch um, to anything else. And I don't know how that's how that's going to shake out. Um, I just saw. I just saw a thing about the new or one of the new fuels. Uh, I'm trying to find it real quick. I saw North Dakota that stopped was, using it. That's what I was going to mention. It's Swift. It was Swift 94, I think, Swift. which is what there we use go. in the, um, uh, oh my God, all of our sports stuff. Yeah. So they're citing um, valve issues. Yeah, valve recession, right? Yeah. But so, specifically with cherry, uh, were pipers, wasn't it? Well, I mean, you can say that, but that engine's in how many other kinds of aircraft, right? It's just a O three sixty, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, citing valve damage, so they dropped the unleaded fuel and returned to hundred low lead. So, we'll. I mean, that's that's kind of a big deal. Um, 
But that's, I mean, that's the Mogas equivalent, though. I didn't know a lot of, like, O3s. I didn't know the 360s could even run that. They can, yeah. So all of the uh, PA28s can yeah. burn. You you need an STC, but you can burn 94 UL. Hmm. And and the Swift fuel qualifies. Yeah. I uh, assume that's what's in that plane. That's what was in the art. I That's what. Yeah. What's been in all the archers I've ever flown is a O three sixty. I don't even uh, probably not even an IO, probably just an O. Correct. Yep. They're all of the ones that we have at least are carbureted. So they're O three sixties, non fuel injected. Our our arrow, like yours, Chris, was fuel injected. Um, yeah. But uh that's, the a, IO, that's a different. So the O three sixty is a hundred and eighty horse, and then the IO three sixty is a two hundred horse. Yeah, there are 200 horse variants. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's a, uh, it's such a big thing as far as, um, um, what do you call it? Like, uh, people observe this and say, oh no, because they're obviously putting more hours on these planes than the average Joe pilot who owns one of these, right? Um, so, they're thinking, oh shoot, long term, what am I looking at here? Because these guys are putting more hours on these planes um, in a year than the average person might do in five to eight years, probably. So, yeah, it could be a little scary the the whole optics of it all. Yeah, I mean, the thing that you know, note with that though is that's the Swift ninety four that's been out forever. It's not the new actual one hundred low lead replacement, right? It's not G one hundred UL, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the or the gammy. Yeah, it's all so it's a totally different kind of like, you know, issue. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's true. So I yeah, which is I mean, I don't know what causes that per se of whatever that valve issue was. Um you know, fuel or, or oil or, you know, is it something not being lubricated properly, but it's happening this all, to all of them. And that was the, the common de- denominator for it all. Then I could see how, why they would, might want to change back and see if the, the, the problem goes away. Yeah. You start splitting valves and things get expensive in a hurry. Um, Paul Bertarelli did a nice article about uh, unleaded fuels and, and valve recession. Um and it's worth it's worth checking out. It's basically it's pretty non-conclusive. There was some ideas that unleaded fuel caused valve recession in cars back in the eighties, late seventies, early eighties when we switched mm. uh, in the automotive fleet. Um, and I think it was Lycoming switched to all hardened valves uh, in the nineties uh, as a result of that of the automotive challenges and continental never did. If I'm Mm. remembering this correctly, please don't sue me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's what he said in the video. And he's like, there's not a ton of conclusive evidence that G 100 UL is going to cause valve recession um, in, in engines. It hasn't so far uh, that nobody's, nobody's seen it in the test stands and, and likewise. So we'll, you know, it's, it's interesting times for sure to, to be kind of in the fleet as it's making these changes. Now the jury's out. We'll see uh, what happens as time progresses. Yeah. I, 
only time is going to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's the EPA pressures that are that are certainly going to come uh, from their recent finding about you know, hey, we probably should not be burning leaded gas in airplanes, um, and it, it'll be it's political, right? So we'll for sure we'll see how that sausage ends up getting made. So, um, so since Austin, have you have you had a chance to make any interesting flights anywhere? Or just uh, I took a stuff, day, or what are you I, doing? Yeah, I took a day flight down to uh, my favorite uh, airport in the in Minnesota, which is Rushford Municipal Five Five Yankee. Um, it's just a, a it's in the Driftless region, it, which is the part of Minnesota and Wisconsin, basically where the glaciers stopped. Um, so the, the glaciers came down in the last ice age and they pushed, uh, all of this, uh, soil and rocks and everything. And they, they kind of restarted receding when they got to the Southern Minnesota, Southwest Wisconsin area. Um, and they, they were, you know, very thick, uh, and several miles of ice, uh, tall and, um, they pushed a lot of material down and, and just made what was otherwise north of the driftless region. It is perfectly flat. Like it was ground flat by these massive mm. glaciers. Um, and so, you know, most of Minnesota and like Oshkosh and Wisconsin is almost flawlessly flat. Um, but if you get just a little bit south of there, uh, there are these rolling hills and and it's it it's very lovely uh gentle terrain um certainly not anything you could call a mountain by any anybody would call it a mountain but um we go from perfectly flat to hey there's some hills here and uh rushford municipal is right in the middle of that and um so i i flew down there just to to check out the airport again and uh take a drive into town and and check that out and then i recently got night current because we are going to be making a flight uh down to arkansas again to visit my folks uh who who live near hot springs um and so we've we've started plotting uh what that flight is going to look like and uh i wanted to make sure that um well i'm currently the only licensed pilot in the family so (laughs) i'm gonna have to act as pic uh even if i'm not the sole manipulator of the flight controls for for most of the flight um and we'll motor on down there and uh we're gonna stop in kansas city and pick up some some barbecue at slaps um and uh i think uh, you gonna do downtown kansas city or mci uh downtown yeah. MKC, I think it is. Mike yeah, Kilo's Charlie. Right. Um, it's got super cheap gas, and it's it's like half a mile from some really really good barbecue that Aiden and I tried on when we drove it one time. So uh, excited about that, and um, just that'll be our next our next big trip, uh, and probably my last. Just a one day. No, we'll be down for Thanksgiving, so we'll be down for three, four, five days. Or I meant the um, single flight. The flight oh, the flight. Just... Yeah, it'll be in one day. Uh, yeah. It's it's only four and a half, five hours. Oh, that ain't too shabby. Okay. Even even in the Warrior. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hoping for the seventy knot tailwind we had last time. <laughs> there's there's seventy knot uh, north to south tailwinds. That's awesome. Uh, you know, we luck. We had a we had a 
55 to 70 knot tailwind both ways the last time we did it. And Who do you know? I I mean, come no on. Idea. But I mean, like if it had been a 70 knot headwind, we would have gotten there so much faster driving. Wow. <laughs> like, you know, a 70 knot headwind in a 95 knot airplane is 25 knots of ground yeah. speed. We'll take <laughs> so, it. Like, uh, no, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be Sunday before we get there. So I think, I think we'll pass. Um, so yeah, we're, we're hoping for good weather and, and hoping that that all works out, but we got a plane reserved and, and, uh, some destinations in mind. That is awesome. Yeah. All I know about is like 25 knot side winds. <laughs> I'm, I'm like going east and west and i only get side winds so apparently it is coming from the north i don't know it just <sighs> i mean you know this time of year of course it's when it gets cold in minnesota and so we tend to have north winds um which gets you south quickly and it takes forever to get home john what have you been doing you've been uh you've been uh killing some bugs smashing oh. bugs <laughs> oh a lot of in bugs. the rv12 Oh yeah. Tons of bugs. Um, well, since our last episode, I'd flown in, um, July and that was actually when I had with the plane switched because, um, somebody pushed the aileron of the plane into the fuel pump area. <laughs> uh, so dented the whole flap. I guess it's a flapper on, on, on the RV 12, but, um, yeah, basically that that was down. So I'd, that was the flight I'd done in July, and then um, I was back in the um, the fixed plane in August. Um, so I've got a, a couple pictures of the like nice white little <laughs> patch that's uh, you know on the flapper <laughs> on there. Um, but I think that one was just another kind of solo, get some time in. Um, I kind of just took the plane and started flying east um <laughs> which was uh definitely nice to just kind of like i had a plan but not a full plan um you know i just knew i wanted to go wanted to go east kill some time you know just have some fun um the interesting part with that flight though is on the way back there were some uh it looked like some weather was starting to come in and, you know, I'd been watching it cause I knew there were some storms that were supposed to happen later in the night and they weren't supposed to come yet. But, um, on the way back, I'm, I'm getting close to the airport and I'm seeing some, you know, just some dark clouds, but nothing crazy. And then I'm like, Oh, I guess there is some showers over there. And so I can see, you know, I can see the rain kind of coming down below. Um, but it's well South, you know, South of the airport. So I was like, ah, that's fine. Um, as I get closer, all of a sudden I must've hit one of the ADSB towers and then the radar shows up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I was like, Oh, that is more than it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it seemed to be a pretty decent downpour. Um, but I wasn't seeing any lightning or anything like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a huge one and I could see the whole cell. Like I could see the whole thing. I knew exactly where it was. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, beeline it to the airport and get down. And, you know, I had a clear path there um, that was fine. And um, I start going to enter the pattern. And that's when I must have hit. Um, 
the wind. Because <laughs> all of a sudden it got uh, very interesting and very turbulent. Um, just kind of entering the pattern. And I was just like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Um, so I don't know if it was just like building fast or what, but it got, it got a little squirrely for a second. So I was basically, thankfully the airport was to the North and I thought I was well clear of the, the, you know, the rain and I wasn't seeing anything on the, on the radar either. That was, you know, too bad. Um, but it was just, it was just definitely windy. Um, and thankfully, you know, I got in the downwind and then, you know, it was fine after that because I was well North and I knew it was moving the opposite direction. So um, my escape would have been the direction I was going anyway. <laughs> so, uh, got down with no problem, but it was, uh, a little pucker was, factor. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I was not expecting that out of this tiny little, what looked like just a small, you know, rain shower that was not close to where I was, <laughs> um, you know, close, but not like, you know, I wasn't like flying into it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that was uh definitely a little bit of a learning experience there the other problem i had was um on the way back before i even got to that point you know it was pretty sunny but it was later in the day and i had a really hard time seeing from the glare from the sun because it was like right in the wrong spot coming back um so that was a little bit of a like it's just hard to see when you're on VFR, like trying to find, trying to find planes when you can't even like see out of the you know front as easily. Um, so that was a that was like a little over an hour flight, but definitely I got down on the ground and I was like, okay, learned a little bit about some you know dealing with some of those weather <laughs> cells around us. <laughs> um, then uh, about a month, uh, I got that one in because I think I did that flight. Um a couple days before they closed the airport. I wanted to say the following weekend, they closed the airport. They were, um, uh, they redid the whole runway. Mm. So they were ripping it all out. So they were closing the, they're closing the runway and basically reduced it to dirt, repaved it, whatnot. How long um, did that take? I believe it just opened. They were flying on it on uh, October 28th. So I think the planes are back. I don't know if they've officially moved, moved the whole thing back, but I know they were flying on it. And at least it was a soft open of sorts. So they were painting it that weekend. And then they did like an EAA. Uh, well, they did like an event and then had uh, young Eagles stuff flights going on. And so all of that was out of the airport. So they were flying out of it October 28th. Um, but where they moved the, the, the fleet to was a couple miles south. There is a grass strip um, that's actually a residential air park. Um, so it's like one one row of houses down this field. The other side of the field is cows. Um, <laughs> and then at the end is basically the Chesapeake Bay. So it's like right on the bay. I think there might be a house or something down there. Um, there's like a marina down there too. So, you know, it's a nice little spot, but basically they moved all the planes down there. And so while they were doing, uh, the runway there, you had to come down and get checked out with an instructor, do a couple landings and get signed off to do grass, you know, grass, um, soft field in the planes. And, um, I think that currency was 30 days. So you had to fly every 30 days, um, to Mm. keep your soft field 
currency or whatever. Oh, for for just that, for just because for, of the soft field, just for the soft field, yeah. Okay. So um, that's where I did all my bug squishing because <laughs> that was uh, there was a lot of bugs in the cockpit there when you <laughs> close the hatch. I mean, they're just everywhere. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of got um, I did that in September, in the middle of September. And so met up with the instructor, um, you know, just kind of learning what the new process was for because they were still based back up at the airport. So basically, you had to go up there, you were grabbing the stuff, bringing it down to the airport, um, to the soft field, and then, you know, where we're parking the planes, how the, you know, this runway works and everything, and then just doing some takeoffs and landings just to get used to the soft field and make sure that, you know, you were good on everything, knew where the bumps were, because, you know, there's a couple spots, it's like, oh, there's a bump there. Um so we're doing that. And in the process of, of doing this, I find out that I had no idea that this was a thing. But apparently, um, the flight school also requires yearly flight reviews, um, mm. which I didn't know was a thing. I knew you had to pay like a kind of a fee because they kind of run it a little like a club, but not really. So you do pay like 300 a year or something to like, buy, you know, fly their planes or whatever. And I think it's more of like a offset of sorts. Um, but yeah, apparently I also have to get um, yearly flight reviews with uh, instructors. So turns out it was perfect because I would have ex- my flight review for them would have actually expired like two weeks later. <laughs> um, so it worked out. We ended up doing an hour and uh I got the sign off for everything for the soft field and the flight review. So it was a surprise flight review. I didn't know I was, I was going to have, um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to do, I had to do a few documents when I landed, uh, to send to him, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it was good. We only did, you know, we did four landings and, um, you know, it was neat. This first time I'd ever done a soft field. So it was nice to actually, you know, getting to practice that for once. Um, is there anything, the, the, anything different about soft field on a, on a plane with a castoring nose wheel? I mean, you're going to hold, you're going to hold the nose off anyways. You're going to be back on the yoke anyways. Right. So probably no big deal. So much easier to steer. Yeah. Um, mainly because, so a lot of the, the switch, um, especially when you move your feet from, from the floor up, um, you know, when you're, when you're going in from ground mode to flight mode, uh, basically it's, uh, that's always a little, I would say difficult because like, if you don't, cause you're trying to keep pressure, but move your feet at the same time, because if you lose <laughs> it, it will, you know, it can very easily, cause the plane's so light, it'll, it'll veer one way or the other real quick. So mm. you have to be really careful doing that. The grass just keeps it straight. Like you got to try to turn that thing. So it actually makes taxiing and takeoff and landing a lot easier from that respect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I think the big thing for me is cause that plane wants to fly and it's so light is you don't have to hold it up as much as you think. Um, I think especially since I did all of my training on a 172 and that thing's a freaking brick at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Comparatively After flying speaking. The, yeah. To the, to the RV 12. So it, um, you just had to do so much more in that plane. And this one, it's just, you know, you pull it up and you're basically, you have to push it down kind of to keep it there. Um, Cause it wants to just go. Um, so that was, a, that was a little interesting, but yeah, I mean, it only took like, you know, a couple landing, like two landings. And then I was like, okay, I got it. I think I understand. And some of that was even just learning the pattern. Cause it's a new pattern. Um, 
the the airport I fly at Bay Bridge has an ex- very extended pattern when you're flying two eight because of noise abatement. So you have to fly uh-huh. like ways like two miles south. So your downwind is way further than you're used to. And so I kind of had to like readjust back to a normal pattern. Um because of the fact that like I wasn't I didn't have to fly that far south um here. <laughs> um you know and it's not it's not a tremendously long field. Um and then there's one tree that's right on on uh final that's like just annoyingly too close. <laughs> <laughs> optical illusion uh, or <laughs> no i mean it's it's a tall tree and it's right like y- you gotta watch it you could if you come in low you could hit it <laughs> oh um you know thankfully if you're if you're doing it right you're probably 150 feet above it maybe 100 feet above it but like if you you know were just a little too low like you'd be like no i need to you know put some power in um, and there's a road there too. So, the, you know, there's a few things you got to look out for, but I mean, overall it, it went really well. Um, got the sign off. And then a uh, couple weeks later, I did a solo flight out of the airport um, doing the soft field. And that one was, I was trying to cram one in before we left. Um, Cause with the 30 day currency, I basically had to get it in before we left for Europe. Cause we were leaving for a two week trip to Europe. So I knew I wasn't going to get to fly um, before then. So I was like, well, let me try to get one in. And uh, typical Eastern shore of Maryland day. I, I tried to do it in the morning. I think I booked for like eight in the morning and it's just foggy everywhere. As soon as I cross the Chesapeake Bay, it's just fog. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, go a little, a little bit later. It's like a thousand foot ceilings. I'm like, ah, great. All right. I guess I'm waiting this out. So thankfully nobody had the plane after me. And, you know, it was scheduled to be a really nice day. It was just like, when is it going to get high enough? <laughs> um, so I had to play that waiting game again. And uh, I think I did some work <laughs> waiting for it. And then eventually it was high enough. I was able to go. And um, uh, at least where we were, I was I was able to take off. And then there was a you know big giant gap. But as soon as I turned south, um, you could see it was still just hanging all over the bay. So it was just this layer right over the right over the bay that was kind of like breaking up as it came over on the eastern shore so it was kind of like just a pretty morning <laughs> by the time i got up um only did like a little less than an hour um ended up flying over my grandparents house to the south because another one where i was just like well i need some time i'll go up i'll putz around the eastern <laughs> shore because there's a you know bunch of places to go um but it was nice it's nice to not have to work one morning and go up in the airplane do a soft field by myself Heck yeah. And uh, any morning you, know, you can start your day out with flying, it's got to be a good day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, finish up, pull up to the tiny little cart of Swift Fuel and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a cart of it. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, like I followed, I've actually followed the guy bringing it down to the airport that morning. Um, it's a, it's a little trailer with a <laughs> gas, you know, a pump, a full pump on it and a tank. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And I guess they go fill it up. I, I'm I'm guessing they fill it up at the airport from the big tank and then just take it down there whenever they need to in the morning. Huh. Um, it, it's just yeah. more, more convenient that way to have it look closer to the uh, school or whatever. Well, I mean, they'd have to fill them up somewhere. Yeah. And I don't think there's anywhere else around that's selling Swift Fuel. And the Swift Fuel up at the airport is their own. It's just for the club. There's no, they, they don't sell it or anything. So. Oh, okay. 
so they've right. got their own setup <laughs> yeah so they've got they buy like i don't know a 500 gallon barrel of it or not barrel but whatever you call it uh container of it or whatever at a time or they have a container that they have uh the truck come in and fill up and then and then the cart goes over there and fills itself up and brings it back is that how it works yeah i'm not sure i mean i know i've seen the containers there sometimes <clears throat> but there is a permanent tank as well yeah um i haven't seen none of that around here down here um by us at any at any local airport yet um so I'll yeah, let you know I when I, whenever it shows up. I, I've been expecting it. Um, so oh, what what are they charging for it? Do you know? I, I They're not selling it, so I don't know. Well, um, oh, because you're paying a wet rate anyways. But I'm yeah, I'm paying a wet rate and it's only for the school. Yeah. Um, and it's because they all, they run mostly sport pilot ex- uh, or yes, sport planes and all that. I mean, it's Chesapeake Sport Pilots, the name. They uh-huh. have a few 172s, um, but most of them, there's a couple of Eaglets, some Technims, and the RV-12s. Um, but yeah, basically, they, and I, I think it's because it's easier on them because they were having to put additives in constantly. And it was probably a, a matter of, um, I'm sure that it was like people would forget to put the additive in too, and it would cause problems. Cause I think it gunks up the Rotax engines putting mm. um hundred, hundred low lead. If you don't, if you run it constantly and don't put the additive in, um, it doesn't do well over time. Huh. So basically they just, they just switched to the 94 and I'm sure it's probably cheaper for them during your, uh, your pre-flight and all that. Do you got to go through that whole burping the engine thing? Yes. Yep. That's always fun. I, I there's <laughs> something just feels wrong about it's grabbing the prop and just turning it yeah. <laughs> constantly until you hear it go. <laughs> yeah. And I, I definitely have those moments where I'm like double checking the checklist and me to make sure like the ignition's right. off and the keys aren't no in. Mags never do that, off. but like yeah. it's all off. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I gotta, I gotta do the, Got to do that, and and it's a uh, uh, liquid cooled, so you have to check the coolant, which always always mm-hmm. makes me laugh. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, those are the those are the three flights I did. Um, so I'm I, I got to get up here in the next couple weeks, keep it going. Um, trying to take my mom up. I was trying to take her up before, and that's the time I had to cancel because somebody bent the plane. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to get her up again. We had a little, uh, we had a little, um, hanger rash on our stabilator on the back that was there when I bought the plane. It was just, I think they, yeah. I think they like pushed it back in the, in the, um, hanger a little bit too far and it hits, hit or touch something some time ago. And I mean, it was just kind of, I don't know, dinged it up a little bit, but we took that over and got it, got it fixed not too long ago too. So. Yeah, hang a rash happens. Yeah. It's a thing. Um I it's since uh I, it's been about it's been about right at a year now since uh, I got into the plane and uh my uh, four flight says that in the last 12 months I've did 91.8 hours. Nice. That uh Woo-hoo. that that's the equivalent of uh, any three years in my logbook prior to that you want to add together just about. 
after I got my after I got my ticket, anyways. Yeah, I think my high is about eighty five. So well done. Yeah. Well, obviously, a lot of I've been doing a lot of training and stuff too. So um, usually, I'm when the plane is here uh, three days a week. Um, I'll I'll usually meet meet my instructor at six in the morning before work and go out and get an hour and a half in or something like that. So that's been going pretty good. Um, I, since that big ass trip in July to Oshkosh, I didn't fly the whole month of August. Um, and, uh, trying to let my bank account recoup a little bit. And, uh, so my first flight, uh, since, since then, or my, or my flight after that, basically that little hiatus of uh, August was, uh, was, uh, September 15th. Uh, I took my wife and uh, we flew to Colorado uh, for the weekend and actually, you know, did a thing, used a plane uh, for, you know, its intended purpose and flew it somewhere and used it for transportation to get you to somewhere so you can, you know, have a good time without using an airline. So we flew up to uh, Montrose and um, it was, uh, it's about, you know, a little over two and a half hour flight to get there. Um, and, uh, and then we, you know, uh, got a rental car and, and, and drove into, uh, Uray. Have you guys ever heard of Uray, Colorado? No, uh, no, I don't know what, where is it on the <laughs> West side or where is uh, it? S- south ish West, a little North of Durango, uh, which is South and, okay. um, it's spelled O U R A Y and they, they call it the Switzerland of the United States. And it's just gorgeous, just flat gorgeous. Um, flying into Montrose was uh, um, exciting and sporty at times. Um, I was uh, dodging, ducking, uh, diving, all those things in and around clouds uh, to make it there. Uh, you know, September, you know, still summerish or whatever, so some weather isn't around that area. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And also because it's basically that whole area is surrounded with 14,000 foot peaks. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> so we, we started out at 13, five on the way there. And eventually at some point I was 17, five and then, <laughs> and then back down, um, to get into Montrose. So yeah, that was, uh, that was exciting to say the least. Um, and, and, uh, we were both on oxygen going out there and then coming. And it's funny Montrose, by the way, is where, uh, got it. Um, one of the big engine remanufacturers or rebuilders is, um, Western skyways. So that's where that's where if you get an engine rebuilt coming out of Western Skyways, uh, that's where uh, it's coming from is Montrose. And that being said, we have a new engine on the way uh, coming from there. So we're we're on the list. We've put down a twenty five thousand dollar deposit, and we're probably you know twelve weeks out at this point. I think so. We'll see how that goes. So sometime probably in I don't know February we'll have have a new engine to. To, to put in and we're gonna we're gonna add the uh we're gonna add the um intercooler to it this time 
So uh, that'll really help, especially in the in the warmer warmer temps uh, during the summer down here for sure. So, but going home, it was it was a lot easier, and uh, twelve thousand five hundred uh, uh, got us home all the way. So I stayed on oxygen, and then Michelle just kind of supplemented herself uh, as needed with uh, a separate can of O2 that I that I bought. You know those Boost O2 cans. I don't know if you've seen them before, but they work really well. Yeah, so that, that nice. was a lot of fun. But other than that, for me, I mean, man, just a ton of training, a whole bunch of like 1.4, 1.6, 1.7s in my in my logbook from from all the instrument training. Um, I, I still haven't taken the test yet. I mean, up to a few moments before we started recording, I was still. I'm using Gold Seal for my uh for my online ground school um because my instructor um used gold seal and and so i can list him as as uh, my instructor so he can like see my progress and like he can send me he goes hey before we go out on this uh flight tomorrow go review blah 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 and send me like homework to do or whatever and kind of see progress on how I'm doing and stuff like that. And if I have a question about, hey, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time with this particular area, uh, can we uh, talk about it? Talk about it tomorrow, and I'll send them the stuff over. That's pretty cool. One particular area, Brad. I don't know if you remember primary and supporting instruments under IFR fundamentals. Do you remember oh, that yeah. area? Man, um, and I understand in the real world. I mean. You know, things are different. Like a lot of the stuff that you're going to test on might not end up being your real world experience after you get in the system. Yeah, but that's been my worst area. Like my, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so hard to go, well, you know, you're doing this flight and, you know, such and such happens or whatever. And then what's considered a primary instrument at this point? And what would be a supporting instrument? I'm like going, I, oh, I, I've been yeah. flying for 12 years now. And I look at the instruments a very specific way. And now I got to learn to think of them as a primary and secondary or supporting. My brain says, nah, nah, dude, you've got a habit now. Sorry. <laughs> and it's mostly for the sake of the test. I, that's one of those parts where I understand why they do it. And it's, it's not for people who've been flying for 12 years. It's, it's for folks that are newer to flying in general. And it would probably make a lot more sense if it was, if it was actually part of the private, to be honest, it, it might. And I can see why they don't cram more into the private. And all I can say is when you, when you get into the plane for real, um, it becomes completely obvious. Like you're like, well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking at most of the time. Like when I'm doing this, I'm mostly focused on AI and altimeter, or I'm mostly focused on heading and airspeed or like whatever, whatever it is. It, it's like, yeah, that, that I know it's those, that that's the primary and that's the secondary because that's what I'm mostly paying attention to, but like working on it ahead of time isn't super duper useful because because it's like well it it doesn't it doesn't tell you what to do in the moment you know it's like okay i'm in a climb and i'm and i just gotta 
I'm getting close to my altitude and they, and ATC just called me up and told me to turn, you know, left to two nine zero or something. And you're like, okay, like in the moment you're going to figure out, I've got to pay attention to my altimeter. I've got to pay attention to my turn coordinator. I've got to turn, pay attention to my heading gyro, um, directional gyro. But, uh, you know, in the purposes of the test, it's like, it's not, as obvious and for the test that part of it is just rote memorization yeah um have you gotten to the part on adfs and ndbs oh i i i'm yeah dude (laughs) because that's the The, part that made me want to gouge my eyes out i don't let me see here the only part that was worse was the part that was on loran which had already been decommissioned before i took the knowledge test but the questions were still on the knowledge test well, under navigation systems, they talk about magnetic compass, sure. um, yep. VOR operations, GPS, HSI, DME, the runway localizer, yep. And, uh, yep. and, uh, and ILSs. Maybe they've taken that out. That's nice. <laughs> that, would, that would be nice, right? Yeah. Finally. NDBs. I mean, the first approach I flew after I got my ticket was an NDB approach to just, just, <laughs> just below minimums um, and, or just above minimums rather. And, uh, y- you know, it, and that's the last one I've done. I don't know that I will ever do another NDB. Um, they are horrible, <laughs> horrible things. Yeah. Um, Michelle will tell you about all the fun she's been having with VORs. And just yeah. kind of getting the hang of lost procedures with VORs and and all of that kind of fun. But again, I'll I'm I'm not going to steal her thunder. <laughs> I forgot planes had those. Hey, dude, you remember your your private? And you you got that paper chart in your hand, and you've got your uh, you, you got your protractor <laughs> there, and they're like, okay, figure out your where you are. Oh yeah, figure out where you are based on these two VORs, and you're sitting there trying to. draw on this map with no autopilot so you're trying to one hand everything and you got this oh my gosh (laughs) and you're like i've I've got this fancy ipad right here and this beautiful gps and uh here i can tell you exactly where i am now yeah no michelle's got (sighs) got very good stories (laughs) now i've got got three gps's in the plane don't tell me what my iPad battery is going to run down. I got two other GPSs to back up. <laughs> and and I've got just the one engine. So talk to me again about single points of failure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, we don't even have backup gauges for the uh, uh, screens. <laughs> and one of them only has one screen. So yeah, you've got nothing. You lose your electrum. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Better hope that battery works on the Dynon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, yeah, so the I, I I'm hoping um, I'm gonna have off the whole week of Thanksgiving. Uh, we're, we're gonna be going camping, so uh, I hope to finish up this uh, instrument pilot ground school that I'm doing, so I can go 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 take the test on that, and then just focus on the flying piece only. I've been using my home flight simulator, recreating uh, the day's flights in that, trying to practice like more than a lot. A lot of it for me is being real real comfortable, you know, in the, in, and just the, you know, we just have a, a Garmin 530 and a 430, but just how, how to, you know, okay, you're going to go from here to here. What all information do I need to put into the flight plan? Um, you know, during, during this route in order to, you know, 
hit the hold, intercept the glide path and and fly it down and then do the missed approach or whatever. You know, what all information do I need to put in there? Um, it's uh so not only do you need to, you know, pass the whole written instrument pilot ground school piece, but you also need to become a uh, a subject matter expert obviously in all the equipment in your plane. That would only make sense. Yeah. But up until now, you know, you just say direct to follow the magenta line and become a slave to it, right? So, <laughs> well, uh, let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, right. But now, but now you got to really understand how to use all the ins and outs. And it was so cool that, like, even in the five thirty and four thirty, which are considered old nowadays, because they are, <laughs> yeah, and they're no longer, you know, Garmin's Supported, no longer yeah. supporting them here pretty soon, you know, as far as parts and repairs goes. But, um. But uh, like, I like, I like, oh, so here's this hold and it shows you, well, the whole thing is like, make a turn to 270 degrees and five, four, three, two, one, bam, you make your standard rate turn and then you're on to the next fix or whatever. And if you have a hold, it shows you the entry into the hold. So that kind of takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it too. Um, but uh, man, it's, I feel like <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm drinking oh, you from a fire so. hose. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie <laughs> what the hold the entering the hold the entering the hold all yeah. of the all of the hold stuff in those gps's is, is a lie it's, <laughs> it's it's what it would be if there was no wind oh well yeah and you know once you add wind into it it's just awful and then you yeah. start flying in the system for real and you're like wait i never actually hold yeah right yeah when <laughs> When are you actually using this? Almost probably never, unless there's something terrible happened at the airport and they've shut it down. They, you know, which how many times has that ever happened to you other than Oshkosh? But, uh, <laughs> and then at that point, everybody's holding or just doing laps around a lake. So, yeah, well, except the IFR arrivals. Um, well, true. Yuck. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's hard. I, the instruments, the instrument is challenging. Um, yeah. I'm having fun with it, but at the same time, I, I, I now see the um, benefit and attraction to those like fast track schools that says, hey, we'll have your instrument done in 10 days or whatever. Because yeah, if they you assume can, that if you've you, already passed the written. Yes, yes. <laughs> but then if all you have to do is just focus on this every single day for 10 days, I could see that. But I've got life going on, you know. And yeah, <laughs> I've got a wife and kids and, and, and grandkids. Thousand dollars <laughs> events. Yeah, well, there is that. So, um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, there, man. there's a market for it, and and it's great and everything. And I I don't I don't want to bag on them, but it's it's it wasn't for me, you know, for sure to just yeah stop life for two weeks, and, right hope for awesome weather and, and have a plane available every day for hours and hours at a time um, was just not unlikely kind of situation <laughs> that I was going to be in. So yeah, I had to, I had to drag it out and um, yeah, we have since placarded inoperative all of the ADFs in all of our aircraft. <laughs> so good, good call. They are, they are no longer NDV capable and yeah, uh, are increasingly, you know, was capable. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're uh, um, maybe sometime 
you know, after we get the engine in, you know, we've all talked about thinking about upgrading to uh, a 750, but uh, that's only another $30,000. Yeah, right. So, yeah, somewhere around there. But it wouldn't it wouldn't be just that either. It's probably be that plus a I don't know what they call them the the GX three or something. Is that the screen that goes in typically the MDF or something that it, that you can push it over to? Oh, I mean you can get a G three X if you want the ten inch display to replace all of your yeah. all of your glass instruments. Um, we've got G fives dual yeah. G fives in most of our planes. We have two planes that have Aspens that that had aspens when we bought them do you like uh, those aspens the aspens are great um they're a little bit more capable than, than the g5s in a lot of ways they're they're a little bit a tight there are a couple features that the g5s have that are really sweet that the aspen doesn't but the aspen mostly has it they're really nice like they'll show you traffic on the on the hsi oh, and they'll okay you know, yeah i can um, see that so there's there are some other niceties about them um, but they're missing a couple of things as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a horse apiece, but we had glass and, you know, we didn't want to take out a $10,000 instrument, and replace it with two $5,000 instruments. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, we stuck with those. We were running our four thirties to failure. Basically. Um, we have a, we have a couple of planes with we have several planes with four thirties and we've got one with a five thirty, um, and we're just going to run those until they die and then replace them with six fifties or seven fifties. We yeah. put the six thirty longer the wait, the, the cheaper they'll become. Yeah, and and we put a six thirty five in the Warrior because it didn't have an IFR GPS um, at all, and so now it has one. But the the six I think it's the model number is 635. It's the one that has GPS oh. and com, but no VOR. Okay. And it's like $5,000 cheaper or, or something like it, something like $5,000 cheaper. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. We can just have one, one VOR in the plane with no autopilot that nobody flies cross country, except apparently me. <laughs> uh I'm surprised at how capable the G5s are actually now that I'm using them for instrument work. Like, you know, you, uh-huh. <laughs> in a regular six pack, you're scanning those, all those, all those gauges, right? But literally, and I know this isn't, uh, okay, let's put finger quotes around the legal way because it can't be your primary instrument. But if you look at your top G, your, my top G5, it literally has everything that the all, that the other six, that the six pack has right? Yes. In one instrument. But can I stop myself from scanning? No, because I've got 12 years of this, (laughs) of this habit built into me. Yeah. Literally it's all there. I don't need to be looking around if I could just focus on the smaller intricacies of, you know, the speed tape and the altimeter and the, and the, and the, and your ball and, and the bank and indicator, all that stuff. It's all there. I just got to, I got to rewire my brain. Slope. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the glide slope. A, oh, that's money. When you're on approach, you get glide slope and you get HSI. And yeah, uh, even I when do, you're not, I do focus on just that when I'm when I'm on glide slope. Once yeah. I'm to that point, I'm fixated kind of on that. And the uh, the thing that I really like about it is it has the course deviation indicator, the little the little yep. pink dot. 
yeah um is even if you just use the one on the bottom g5 which is primary um and certified it's so nice to have that course deviation indicator telling you look i've done all the math and you're on the right heading yeah and and it will help you correct for wind yes that's what i mean right yeah it's doing all the wind correction for you it's saying point your plane here and you will be on the right right track put the put the pink dot at the top and you're fine yeah Yeah, that's right (laughs) that's right so yeah it's it's been yeah like i said a little drinking from a fire hose but I'm enjoying it. I I really don't care how long it takes, but on the other hand, our insurance renews in January. So I I would, (laughs) which, which does kind of give me a date to shoot for, um, because otherwise I'm the Jack having to spend the extra $2,000 more than everybody else. And then after I get it done, I'm just going to ask that we requote it with me now having my instrument rating because you know, we can do that obviously, but I hate to add more work for everybody. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a joy. Yeah. <laughs> Aircraft ownership is just a mm. never ending joy. Aiden is really enjoying being on the money making end of it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a money making end. <laughs> yes. Tell me more. Yeah. Right. It's just like, you know, yeah, they had like these arrow commanders that came in that, oh, cool. that needed like, major engine work like one of them blew i think it threw a rod um Oof. and it had been on the field forever and they're like yeah we don't we don't have an engine hoist that can reach the top of an aero commander like because it's <laughs> we like need a 12 cr- it's 12 feet up you know yeah. basically someone needs <laughs> to come out with a forklift and and that's what he's like why don't we just get a forklift and yeah. eventually they found an engine hoist at one of the other places on the field and they were able to to swap the engine out and put a new one or swap the jug or whatever it needed to get swapped and, and get it back into service again. But uh, yeah, he's got a lot of funny tales about, you know, stupid pilot tricks and all the silly, you know, he, he was replacing a flap on a plane that had gone off the runway with the flaps out uh, obviously on the rollout and had mm-hmm. hit the tax, uh, hit the runway lights Um and it had torn a hole through the flap. And so he's talking about, you know, how you replace it and paint it and get it all prepared and ready to hang back on the aircraft. And he thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> he's wow. like, yeah, no, this is great. Every time you mess up. Um, and Has he already did his written? Oh, no. All that? He, okay. he literally just started two weeks ago. Okay. Well, he so, sounds like he's getting a heck of a lot of experience right away, which is great. Yeah. They put you right in the deep end. Um, yeah. He, one thing that he's got to do is, uh, he needs to start acquiring tools. Oh, and so yeah. he's in, he's in the hunt for, you know, the socket wrenches that have 120 points per rotation. Yeah. Kinds the, of thick kinds of experiences and, you know, the snap on for mechanics for, and, for A&Ps, you know, <laughs> yeah. no. a good pair of, uh, of, uh, what, um, um, safety wire pliers <laughs> yeah the safety wire pliers uh, will pr- probably be a stocking stuffer this year there you go uh, that's what i was just uh, gonna say <laughs> a perfect christmas gift <laughs> but i'm i'm like you should you know there's so many more a and p's retiring than there are getting replacing uh-huh. them i'm like yeah. just reach into your network and find somebody yeah. who's leaving and buy their tools and 
he's yeah looking into that because it's like yeah they'll have great tools like by the time you've been in the business for 35 40 years like Mm -hmm. you're gonna have some kick-ass tools to work with it's also weird how there there's all these one-off tools that was built for this one problem Uh this one aircraft and you're like holy who would know right you know (laughs) luckily someone else has came across this problem before you and uh hopefully someone knows exactly the what you're trying to get to and they someone someone custom fabricated a specific you know wrench to get to this hard to get spot you know without yanking an engine or a cylinder or whatever it is so so now i'm going to jump in and give you some of the dirty secrets of the u.s military oh yeah <laughs> please so uh, some know some don't know but I, I was a former crew chief on f-15s and i worked on f-16s and a little bit on f-4s which kind of dates me a little bit but most of my time was on f-15s I cannot tell you the amount of special tools, quote unquote, that we had to use to work on parts of that airframe. It was it was uh, mind blowing because it'll say put a wrench on here and and you know torque it for whatever. There's no way you're going to get your standard wrench in there. So <laughs> the the machine shop or or you know somebody with some skills would actually make up a special tool to get up into these nooks and crannies and uh, it it. Yeah, it was interesting. We'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) The creativity. A lot of creativity. So, Brad, I was going to say something earlier when you were talking about um, about, uh, your son getting his A&P. From my perspective and all of the – I mean, I I was pretty mechanical before I went in the military. Um, I was was raised by my grandfather who owned his own uh, business, and he taught me a lot of things. But – Going in and becoming a crew chief um, in in the Air Force refined and taught me a whole lot of new things. To this day, I can't tell you. One of the techniques you learn how to do is um, work with basically what I refer to as my mind's eye. You put your hand up in like in this dark hole and you're having to feel around and, and do that. I work on my truck or anything else. I do the same thing, how to, how to get into a nook or cranny. The, exactly. the skills, the skill sets that I learned then, um, have helped me immensely. Thirty, even thirty years later, on on working on just some simple things around here. Um, last year, I flew down to um, Glendale with uh, with Keith because we had to replace um, the starter motor adapter <clears throat> on his plane. And we got to use a, a, a friend's hanger, who's also a, a master AMP. Um, and uh, I figured that between the two of us, we could knock it out. And uh, the skills that I learned then made that job so easy because it was I was able to get in there and you know finger feel a lot of things around and 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 just have a, a general sense of um, mechanics, if you will. Yeah. Um, that it, it made the job. I mean, we were in and out in probably three hours and that includes taking all the cowling off and, you know, getting the old part out, getting the new part in, buttoning everything back up. Um, and, and the hard part was that took, that took us the longest is Keith's, uh, Cirrus has uh, an air conditioning system on it. So there's a lot of other garbage in the way that I'm very very thankful flying that airplane, Mm -hmm. but but there's a lot of other stuff that's in the way. So you really had to be creative on, on how to get, you know, because where this starter adapter is, it's between the firewall and the back of the engine. And there's literally about nine inches of space. 
and and and, and it's a, you know it was a challenge, but uh, I was surprised how how much of that stuff came back uh, right away. Um, before that, we were doing a uh, formation clinic in uh, in uh, Lake Havasu, and I think it was I think it was when we were getting ready to leave. Um, he was doing a mag check and went to went to the right mag and it started rough idle. We're like, uh-oh, uh-huh. this isn't good. So we ended up taxing back, letting things cool down and started doing some troubleshooting. And uh between the two of us, we made a couple of phone calls and realized one of the one of the plugs was bad. And I was I was the one that did it, but I was able to with a few with a few um sets of pieces of tools, um I was able to go in there, swap, figure out which one it was, swap it out, go out. Uh, we did an engine run; it ran fine, um, and then we were able to get it back and button it up, and then and then fly back up here to bring me home. But uh, it those skill sets again carried on to be able to be very very comfortable to get into an engine or part of an airframe that that um, that uh, to be able to get us home and get us and get us. Uh, you know, Heck everything yeah. done safely, but I highly recommend, I mean, if he's, if he's mechanically inclined and he's looking to that, man, that, that is a great job. And like you said, a lot of guys are retiring now and uh, there's going to be a big need for uh, maintainers, whether he's going to work for the airlines or he's going to work for, like you said, Cirrus or somewhere else. Um, uh, I, I think it's a great, it's it's a it's a, it's going to be a lost art if we don't backfill it. Number one, but um, and that which means all of our as operators, our costs are going to go through the roof because we can't find somebody to actually that's qualified to work on on aircraft. Um, yeah, that's also half the problem. You know, whenever you do have a problem, is like, oh great, who can we get to fix it? But not only who can we get to fix it, who can you get to fix it the soonest? It, exactly, and and, and uh, unfortunately, everybody's backlogged. Exactly. And unfortunately, I've heard I've heard so many horror stories lately about a I can't get it done or it was done half assed or, you know, it was a, a, a maintenance guy who's working under somebody else's license, which is mm. a no, no. Uh-huh. And, and um, you know, oh, there's screws left over. <laughs> that's a, you never should have more of those than what you started with right? exactly yeah. you should never you should never finish with more than you started um but 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 I'm, I'm hearing a lot of stories like that and, it, and it's scary so um the fact that if you can get aiden to do that um again your annuals will become a little little cheaper um, <laughs> but i regret not getting my civilian i regret not getting the amp because i would have i would have had a AMP plus I and something else because I, yeah, I was I, also I was also uh, inspection authorized inspection authorized yeah I did that on on fifteens and sixteens so plus all the engine run stuff that I did and it was uh, um, anyway I regret not doing it I didn't think that that was the route that I was going to go I actually wanted to fly and that was it and you know as to to, to quote a couple country artists uh, God was laughing said, <laughs> I got other plans for you. Yeah, there you go. Here I am doing civil engineering and completely different, but maybe civil engineering is what pays for my flying. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, that's my two cents. There's a lot of crafty tools out there, uh, crafty wrenches. Um, and uh, I highly advise that if that's something he's interested in, man, I would I would wholly foster that and uh, and and support that. But uh, Oh, yeah. We're I mean, he's he's all about it. 
and uh, you know he's he's at an age where he gets to make his own choices, and we support him a hundred hundred and ten percent. I think awesome. it's I think it's Excellent. great that he's that he's found something that he really likes um, that you know is paying him well right out of the get go, and his pay will more than double when he finishes. Um, and the best part is, is as he matures and gets more experience. Um, I mean, he's going to be doing not only maintenance, he's going to be doing probably up there getting engine run time. And eventually he could, you know, once he has his, if he gets his pilot's license and, you know, maybe he's doing the whole thing, test flights and all of it. Um, yeah. I, I know some, I know some really experienced AMPs that that's, that's what they do for a living. And he, these guys even work on like citations and Gulf streams and stuff like that, but they're fully qualified all the way through. So they're highly sought after and very valuable people. But at, at, at Aiden's age right now, he could easily go that whole, um, that whole uh, pathway. Yeah. yeah I, I'm really excited to see where it takes him. Um, you know, hopefully it's not physically too far, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a great, it's a great field to get into it. You know, there's just so many more, more people are leaving uh, and they're asking, you know, at his FBO, Hey, can, you know, can any of your friends want to come? Um, and, and, and that right there is an indication of the, of the industry right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. They know they're, I think they're forecasting 259,000 openings was what Oof. I read in the next 10 years. That's scary. I mean, that's that's a lot of mechanics, <laughs> and so they're like, "What can we do to get people interested in this?" And you know, it's like, you know, you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty. You've got to be willing to pass a drug test. You've got to be, um, you know, willing to show up and 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 do that kind of work. And he's like, "Yeah, that's great. That's what I want to do. Like yeah, that, that fits for <laughs> me." And. Um, you know, for better or for worse, not everybody feels that way, and the market will sort itself out, uh, of course. But um, you know, in the meantime, he's like, "I've got a, I'm 18 years old. I've got a job that I can count on. Um, that that is going to take me quite a long ways." Um, and you know, that's very comforting for him. Yeah, I have a friend that's one of the leads, uh, lead mechanics for Southwest here in Phoenix down there at uh, Sky Harbor. And I can just say uh, he makes a very comfortable living. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are great high Not exactly where he started either, but obviously, you know, over, yeah, you he's been there for up. 20 years or whatever, but he's, they're doing good. Yeah, and you, you can work your way up and, and get into that. And, you know, like Mark was saying, there's a lot of directions that you can go um, in, in the profession. And, uh, you know, right now he's just, he's liking time on the ground more than he has time in the air. So yeah, we'll see some start of the make, other, start making you know, a name for himself that, uh, yeah. And know, that's what we're telling him. Like get, you know, knows get what he's doing. He can be counted on all that. Get stuff. connected with everybody. Yep. Show mm-hmm. up for work every day, uh, work hard. And, um, I, you know, I was like, look, this is a small, small community. Like the people that he interviewed with all knew me and I don't remember meeting any of them, (laughs) but they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, Brad. And I was just like, that's how small this community is. Like 
if you work hard, you know, and do the job and have a good attitude, your word's going to get around. And and if you don't, words also work around. around. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> so, both ways. So, uh, and he doesn't mind, you know, putting in the work, and and he enjoys it. So I think I think it'll be easy for him. He's he's kind of a round peg in the round hole. <laughs> good fit. Yeah. Well, that being said, um, I uh, unless anyone else has got a, a quick story they wanted to get out there, um, I think we should probably uh, call it an episode. I think so. I think we're good. Shout Sounds out good to me. I've got one if nobody else does. Yeah, I got a shout out after you. Go ahead. Uh, my shout out is to Paul Bertarelli, who, uh, if you haven't read or watched his stuff on AvWeb, he is, he's been uh, working at AvWeb most recently as the editor for 33 years. And he hung up his cleats. Uh, he posted his last article uh, recently, but Paul has made just tremendous contributions and uh, to to my own knowledge of aviation and uh, a lot of how the aviation sausage gets made from a technical perspective <laughs> as well as a political uh, and a kind of a social perspective as well. And I really enjoyed reading his stuff uh, over the 13 years now, 14 years now that I've been doing aviation e stuff and uh, um, I'll miss seeing him on AvWeb. I hope to, but I hope to, to see him around on Jambalaya night at Camp Bacon there you uh, go. <laughs> next year when, when he's not working. <laughs> he always has good stuff. My, my, my favorite, honestly, my favorite video from him. And you'll probably remember this if you watch any YouTubes of his and you probably have, he, he's in he's in the cub, right? He's in the and, cub with the with the with, epaulets. <laughs> yes, and they keep growing. <laughs> Every time it cuts to him, he's got another stripe. <laughs> yeah, I think he ends with like eleven or twelve <laughs> yeah. epaulets on his. I love it. Bars, gold bars on his shoulders. Yeah, that was yeah. great. That was Good a wonderful stuff. one. Um, I got a shout out to a uh, a recent new viewer of ours. Um, it's my it's viewer. my uh, yeah right. Uh, it's my, um, <laughs> oh yeah. Listeners. That's right. Yeah. The, the, the video, the videos haven't started yet. Uh, at least for radio. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> a re a recent, uh, new, new listener, which is, uh, my son-in-law's uncle. <laughs> um, son-in-law's uncle. Yeah. Okay. My son-in-law's uncle. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he started, uh, listening he, and he started back at episode one and, He's probably been waiting for a few months for this one to come out. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in 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 fact, you were um, you were as you were talking a little bit ago. Uh, well, as Mark was Mark was talking a little bit ago about just trying to feel around. Um, well, he's blind, but he is so, and he didn't. He wasn't always blind, and he is very very mechanical. So, um, you will find him. Uh, underneath his uh, Ram 2500 uh, doing an oil change in his garage. And of course the lights are out because he doesn't need them. And then uh, he'll end up. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> you know, or, or doing or, or changing out, you know, uh, a shock or whatever it might be, any kind of mechanical stuff. He can, he can feel his way around and figure out his name's Craig. 
And Craig, he'll be out there and like he'll drop a screw or something and not be able to find it. And uh, he, he calls Patty inside. He goes, Patty, can you come out? I can't find a screw. She comes out. She goes, where are you? He goes under the, you know, under the vehicle lights are off. So she's got to turn the lights on to go help him find a screw. So he can put back together whatever he was working on, you know, it's awesome. or, or he's on top of their, uh, their uh, 36 foot uh, fifth, uh, fifth wheel on the top of it, you know, doing something with the roof or the air conditioner or whatever, you know, the guy, the guy's got no fear wow. and he just, you know, he's been doing it for so long, you know, uh, sites, just a, a thing that, uh, most people have to work with, but he's come to find out that it's not necessary to continue doing what you love. And, uh, for that reason, I always love hanging out with them and hearing stories. He used to, he used to build uh, race, uh, VW bugs and race them <laughs> here in Phoenix. So he's very mechanically inclined. That's awesome. Yeah. I had one more, uh, and this is to the, to the folks running the FBOs at, at Harry Reid International or Henderson Executive <laughs> or North Las Vegas Airport who are charging Three landing, <laughs> landing fees of $7,000 oh, to, to up- go and watch the Formula One races uh, yeah. at, at Vegas coming up. Yeah, I got two words for you. <laughs> <laughs> One of them starts with Foxtrot. And- yeah, yeah, uniform. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I, on, on top of that, I, hey, hang on. Just I just heard on I just saw a video this, this tonight before we started recording that um, hotel prices because the everything is is dropping. Hotel prices are dropped by like eighty percent. Yeah, it's not and having quite are the uh, for refunds and stuff now too. And yeah, it's just yeah. Not, so it's it's crazy. It's like all of a sudden F one and the F one leadership or or organizers are starting to scramble, going, uh oh, what are we gonna do? And the they people like, who bought in the field rates will, will drop down to a realistic price. Yeah, the people when, who, who, when you the people who bought in early and paid all that money are are getting a little miffed right now. Yeah. And this is a ten year commitment, by the way, in Las Vegas. This isn't a one and done. It's also like thousands of dollars for tickets that don't even have a view of the track. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I just flew up there uh, weekend before last. I think it was. Um, I was going to fly into Las Vegas LAS, but uh, they wanted, I think it was Atlantic wanted $89 a day plus $110 handling fee plus a $7 fee for this or that. So I just went to Henderson instead for 20 bucks a day and they uh, yeah. even <laughs> took off one of the twenties cause I got fuel. So yeah, I'll, I'll spend the extra $30 or the extra $20 on the Uber that it was going to cost me and we'll just call it good. There you go. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Um, fantastic to talk to you all again. <laughs> it's been a it's been a little while. Um, Indeed. I'm glad we're back. And uh, for uh, for that, you can reach um, reach all of us. Wrap this up. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, anything, hit us up at podcast and the pattern podcast dot com uh, or any socials we might still be on. Um, generally in the pattern podcast uh, or hit one of us up individually uh, with that show notes. And uh, for this episode and other episodes can be found at our website in the pattern podcast.com. Uh, send us any suggestions, comments, critiques. We do love to get feedback from our couple of listeners. It seems to be growing every episode. Now I'm, I'm hearing about more of you. Uh, so with that, we'll wrap up episode 89 of the end of the pattern podcast. I'd like to thank y'all for listening. Remember make left traffic. You're cleared for the option.